You're listening to a new sermon series from Sojourn Church Carlisle, entitled All in the Family. Over the next few weeks, we'll be sharing how to cultivate a strong relationship with God through managing our finances, as well as maintaining strong relational dynamics in both familial and non-familial contexts. We hope that this series will give a clear vision and a much deeper appreciation of how God is calling each of us to become faithful stewards of our finances, of our families, and of our friendships. Good morning. Good morning, good morning, good morning. My name is James Fields, and it's the great pleasure and joy to greet you this glorious morning. Um, welcome, as I always say, but I do firmly believe it. Welcome to the best church in the city of Louisville, Soldier and Church Carlisle. We are thankful to God for your presence with us, either in person um, and even online. If you're visiting with us for the first time, we want to encourage you um, to fill out a Connect card. You can find those in the pew in front of you. Um, we want to be able to know how we can continue to serve and pray for you as a first-time visitor. If you are a continued and regular visitor, welcome back. We love to have you. Um, but if you haven't filled out a Connect card in past, previous weeks, please feel free to do so um, so we can get to know you better. Um, this morning, we'll continue in our series, All in the Family, to provide a biblical framework on how to rightly build our relationships with God and others regarding our finances, our family, and our friendships. This morning, we'll discuss the theme of conflict by examining the following questions. How to confront someone you love, how to parent through disobedience, uh, defiance, and uh, derelation. And that was a new word that I came up with this week. Um, and then lastly, how to address problems with people who are hurting us. Um, how, to, how to address problems with people who are hurting us. Would you pray with me? Our Father and our God, we do thank you and we love you. We thank you that you are a God who knows what it is to um, put on flesh and live within this life. God, it's inevitable living through this life that we will experience conflict. And I thank you that your word gives us great practical ways and wisdom and know, knowing how to engage rightly in a way that not only um, causes the right solution, but it causes it through the right method. So grow us um, and steal your wisdom within us this morning. God, I pray, Lord, even as I share um, from your word that you would put in your people's hearts uh, specific ways that they can inculcate this and really live this out within their lives. I pray, God, that marriages would be healed, that relationships would be restored. I pray, God, that parenting would be bettered. I pray that friendships and um, living arrangements would be um, joyous um, in the home and not contentious. We pray that you would use this in this and many other ways behind I could even ask or think. Um, in Jesus' name, amen. Knowledge, understanding, and wisdom. Out of all three of these, wisdom is supreme. And wisdom is simply this, knowing how to apply one's knowledge into understanding. It's knowing how to apply one's knowledge into understanding and even, dare I say, application. Proverbs 4, 7 puts it this way. It says, wisdom is supreme, so get wisdom. And whatever else you get, get understanding. I do want to, we, before we jump into the series, I do want to take a pastoral pause to 
share with you all that by focusing on this sermon series, All in the Family, we're not seeking to exclude those who are not parents. But my hope and my prayer is that regardless if you are a parent or not, our goal is simple. We desire for you to grow in wisdom and know how to best interact with all life circumstances, especially those that are difficult and even contentious. That's our goal. So yes, a part of the, what we're talking about will be directed to parenting, but all of the principles, all of the things that we bring up is not just for parenting, it's for all of life. So as Jesus would often say, those who have ears, I invite you to please hear and listen as we talk through the art of confrontation. You know, last week we concluded our time together discussing the goal and aim of parenting. And we looked at Proverbs 9, 7 through 9. And we, we talked about the three characters that are mentioned there. In Proverbs 9, 7 through 9, it says these words. It says, the one who corrects a mocker will bring abuse on himself. The one who rebukes the wicked will get hurt. But rebuke a mocker and he will hate you. Rebuke the wise, he will love you more. Instruct the wise and he will be wiser still. Teach the righteous, and he will learn more. See, these characteristics represent the three different types of people we experience conflict within the world. They identify them in this verse as the wicked, the mocker, and the wise. I want to draw upon those three things and maybe redefine those characters a little bit. Instead of calling the person wicked person, I want to call this person today the evil person. And instead of the mocker, I want to call it that person, the foolish person. And the wise is just fine. So we'll just call it, we'll just leave that as is, the wise person. As mentioned before, this week we'll continue this discussion by, about parenting and, and de- dealing with relationships, contentious relationships, by looking at the art of confrontation. And our goal is to give you practical solutions for parenting and interactions when our plans don't go as plan. So again, the first question that we want to look at this today is how to confront someone you love. How to confront someone you love. I think the very first step in this is very important is that we have to begin with the end in mind. In other words, we have to know two specific things. We need to know what do you want this to look like? <laughs> what do you want this to look like by engaging with this person? I love what Stephen Covey says in his book, The Seven uh, Habits of Highly Effective People. In chapter two of that book, he has a chapter called uh, Beginning with the End in Mind. This is one of the things that highly effective people do. And as Christians and as followers of Jesus, God calls us to that same end. He calls us to know what you want to, to the result of this confrontation to look like. He also invites us to know what outcome do you want to obtain? You see, every time we confront or every time we interact with someone, we may not get the outcome that we desire. But what is the outcome that you actually want to come out of this? Do you want friendships to be restored? Do you want conversation to ensue? Do you want the abuse to stop? You have to have a clear vision of not just what you want, but you also have to have a clear vision of what you want to obtain. 
Love what Proverbs 29, 18 says. It says, where there is no vision, the people perish. So what does this practically look like? So if we're first to start with the end, with begin with the end in mind, the second step is to know the characters of those you are confronting. Let's look at Proverbs 9, again, to be reminded of those characteristics of those characters. I love this, and, and I love uh, Proverbs 9 because it reminds us that how a person responds to correction is closely connected to their spiritual maturity. How a person responds to correction is closely connected to their spiritual maturity. Putting it another way, Jesus says it this way, it's out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if you are willing or wanting to engage with someone, it's really important for you to to listen to what that person is saying. Listen to how that person is responding to you, because how they respond to you ultimately will help you determine how you need to respond to them. See, the evil person becomes aggressive. They become combative. They become contentious, maybe even antagonistic. The evil person's goal is simple, is that when you correct them, they actually want to hurt you. (laughs) They want to slander you. They want to abuse you. And I know you may not have had a lot of these interactions, maybe as an adult, maybe even at school, but the Bible helps us to see that this person and this type of character actually exists within our world. The foolish person becomes defensive. They become argumentative. They become pugnacious, if you will. They have every excuse of why they did what they did. (laughs) They, They don't want to take ownership. They don't want to take responsibility. They want to deflect and they want to defer. Look at the wise person. The wise person remains reflective. They remain contemplative. And they remain receptive to what is being said. Doesn't mean that the wise person actually agrees with what being is said, but how they respond to what is being said is what's most important. It's a good reminder for us that how we guide, encourage, and instruct our children to respond to rebuke and correction and discipline will serve as a crucial component to the formation of their character. How our kids respond to rebuke, to correction, and discipline will serve as a crucial component to the formation of their character. And as parents, it's very important for us to take notice of how our children are responding. We'll continue to talk later about how to respond if maybe your child is not responding in the way that you want them to respond. We'll we'll address that here in a little bit. I love this because this is simple, right? All of us in this room want to be the wise person, right? We want to be the person who is reflective and contemplative. We want to be receptive to every single correction that is given to us. But the truth is, we are not always that way. And that's okay. God still accepts you, amen? And by his word, he gives us instruction and he gives us wisdom to know how to grow maybe in areas that we're acting like the evil person or maybe even the foolish person, to grow into his wisdom, to grow into his character, to grow in the way that God has called us to grow when we face contentious situations. 
You see, this strategy is not just good for parenting, but it's also good for confrontation with adults. You remember what Jesus says in Matthew 18, how he encourages us to respond to confrontation? He says these words in Matthew 18, 15 through 17. If your brother sins against you, go and rebuke him in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. But if he won't listen, take one or two others with you, so that by the testimony of two or three witnesses, every fact may be established. If he doesn't pay attention to them, tell the church. And if he doesn't pay attention to them, uh, tell the church, excuse me, if he doesn't pay attention to the church, let him be like a Gentile and a tax collector to you. See, this familiar passage of Scripture is known as the method to enact church discipline within the life of the church. And notice with me that the process that Jesus provides corresponds very well to the characters that we see in Proverbs chapter 9. First, Jesus says, if your brother sins against you, go and rebuke him in private. Well, Jesus, why are you asking us to do that? I love this because it reminds us of the wise person. When we are dealing with confrontations, we don't want to always assume that someone is not wise. or They won't respond to us when we confront them in wisdom. So what Jesus says is, listen, if you have a problem with someone, you should go to them one-on-one in private. In private is not just in a private location. In private is saying, make it a safe and secure place where you both can talk openly and honestly with one another. So he says, take, take your brother to a private, a safe location to talk. And if he or she responds to your correction in wisdom, guess what? You've won your brother, right? You, you've won your brother. You, you've shared what you need to share. That person has received it. And now you can walk together in reconciliation. Praise God for that. But guess what? It doesn't always happen that way, does it? So he continues, right? He says, if they don't listen to you and they respond defensively, then we are to bring someone along with us into the conversation. This person should be a counselor or a mediator, someone who has also experienced maybe the same consequences or some of the same things that you are trying to address with this person. So Jesus says, but if you won't listen, take one or two others with you. So by the testimony of two or three, notice this word, witnesses, every fact may be established. So the first step is to go to talk to your brother. Hopefully they'll respond in wisdom. If they don't, then guess what? And if they respond defensively and argumentatively and pugnaciously, if they respond in this way, then you need to bring other people who have also experienced this person in that way along with you. I love this. And notice with me that we're encouraged not to engage this person on their own, but we're always to bring someone else with us. We're to bring other people, other witnesses, people who have experienced what we're trying to get this person to see. We're to bring other people into that conversation and into that experience. So after trying to talk with them in private, making them feel safe, After inviting others into conversations with you, if they still start to become overly aggressive, slanderous, or contentious, then we have to bring the issue before Jesus says the church. He says here, um, if they don't don't pay attention to them, tell the church. And if he doesn't pay attention to the church, let him 
Uh, Let them be like a Gentile and a tax collector to you. Jesus says, if you won't listen to you or anyone else, then we must intervene with those who are being affected and to actually to pronounce punishment or consequences upon this person. When it says treat them like a Gentile or a tax collector, that simply means an act of exclusion, an act of um, letting them live in their sin um, on their own, in their own way, in their unrepentive ways. I know someone may be thinking right now, Pastor James, I don't understand. Why is this punishment and consequence so severe? Why do we have to treat them like a Gentile or how do we have to treat them like a tax collector? Look at, Gen- look at Matthew 18, verses 18 through 19 to gain an understanding of what is meant here. In Matthew 18 through 19, it's, Jesus says these words. He says, truly, I tell you, after he gives us this pronounced overview of church discipline, he then says, truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will have to be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will have been loosened in heaven. Again, truly, I tell you, if two, or, if two of you on earth agree about any matter that you pray for, it will be done for him by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among them. So, so what is Jesus saying here? How does this connect to the previous verses? This aspect of binding and loosing refers to either forbidding something by an indisputable authority or by permitting something by an indisputable authority. So what Jesus is essentially saying here is that if we don't bind this erratic behavior, if we don't separate it from our local communities, it will eventually run loose in your home, in your church, and even into your relationships. This is a very strong message for all of us. Jesus is reminding us in this simple instructions of Matthew 18 that if we don't deal with our behaviors that are causing us contentious, if we don't deal with those in a private matter in a safe place, if we don't deal with those by taking witnesses, people to come and talk to a person to have them repent, and if they don't even listen to the church, then we have to allow them to live apart from the community God in their unrepented sin. Now, I know that was probably a lot for this morning. I will admit that. But I do want us to see, again, the seriousness of what this entails and why this is important. So how do we parent when our plans don't go as planned? How do we do this, right? Because all of us desire for our children to walk in wisdom. We don't want them to be foolish. We don't want them to be evil. But how do we do this? Well, Again, we have to have a vision for them, but even before we have a vision, we have to know how to lead them towards that vision. Behind you, I, in your bulletin here, I've given you a little chart. <laughs> this chart is simply a, a, a self-evaluation for you to look through and think through in regards to not just your parenting, but even the relationships that you are having that are contentious or maybe even difficult. So let me take about two or three minutes to explain this chart for you and then encourage you to use this um, in your own way. At the bottom, you see that word capacity on the horizontal axis, if you will. 
Capacity is another word for energy, and that, that word is um, this. On the axis of capacity, I want you to think about this question. Do they have the willingness to obey? Or even, even more plainly, can they obey? Right? Can, can my child obey? Do they have the willingness, desire to obey? All the way to the right of that axis would be high. They do have the desire. They do have that desire. All the way to the left would be a low desire, okay? To the left of that, you see this work of confidence or um, a, a word of confidence in there. Confidence is asking, um, do they know how to obey? And can you trust them to obey even when not you being around? And again, that spectrum goes from low to high, low being all the way at the bottom and then high being all the way to the top. So how do we use this chart? What does this look like? Well, the chart is pretty simple, but, um, and I, I do want to have a caveat in here that this is um, a good tool to use, but we also need to be careful of just realizing that some of our kids are just at certain developmental areas of their life, right? Each quadrant kind of tells you how you need to respond to that type of uh, child or that type of, uh, if your child is showing that type of characteristic. So let's say your child has a high capacity um, they, they have a willingness to obey, so they're all the way to the right, but they don't know how to do it, right? They're willing to do it, but they don't actually know how to do it. So what do you do with that person? Bottom right corner, you dictate, or another better word to say that is instruct, right? You instruct them. You give them clear instructions of this is what it means to follow instruction. This is what it means to obey, right? They have the willingness to do it. They, they don't fight you in doing it. They don't say, I'm not going to do it. They actually want to do it, but they just don't know how to do it. So how do you respond to that child? You instruct them. You dictate to them exactly what they need to do. What if your child has a low capacity? Maybe they don't really want to do it, and they also don't have, they don't, they don't want to do it, and they don't know how to do it, right? That's what probably most of us are. What do we do with that child? Bottom left corner is we coach them, right? We coach them. Coaching, you have to come close. You have to be close. You can't just send a kid off to do what they need to do. You got to take their hand, walk with them, show them, give them examples, right? You can't just say, hey, go upstairs, clean your room, and then come back in 15 minutes because you know it's not going to be done the way you want it to be done. But what you do with that child is you coach them. You bring them close. You show them. You nurture them. What if your child has, they know what to do, but they simply don't want to do it? You encourage them, top left corner, right? You encourage them. And then lastly, if they know how to do it and they're willing to do it, top right corner, what do you do? What do you do? You empower them, right? You let them do it. Now, here's the problem with a lot of our parenting. A lot of us are coaching kids, a lot of our kids, when we should be dictating to them, Right? We're trying to hold their hands, and they're like, Mom, I don't need you to hold my hand. I just need to tell me what to do, right? And then it could be the opposite, right? We're dictating to a kid and telling them what to do when we actually need to coach them. We need to walk alongside them. Some of us are dictating to our children. We should actually just be simply encouraging them, right? I know I fall in this category for myself. I need to be more encouraging than my kids, right? Stop dictating so much and just encourage them. Give them words of affirmation. Tell them where they're doing things well. Now, again, my kids are all on the spectrum. They're 13, 9, and 7, right? So I have a spectrum on this, all right? 
You probably have a spectrum on this too, even if your kids are closer together. But again, it's a tool for you to assess every single one of your children. Hey, where is my child? And based upon where they are on this chart, how, how should I respond to them? Right? Every child is different. So you have to cheat, treat every child individually and not just try to treat them in a collective manner. I hope that's helpful in some way to be able to see. And hopefully the hope of sharing that with you is not to come up with some new uh, social, psychology or something like that. Hopefully this is just helpful for you to know how to better connect with your children. Those who don't have children, guess what? This works even in relationships. It works with adults just like anyone else. It doesn't just have to be involved with children. If you are having a, a boss at a work that maybe you are, or a coworker that you're contentious with, or maybe you are a boss and you're having employees that you're not connecting well with, look at this chart and see where you would find them on this chart and then try to respond to them in that way, Right? Maybe you're encouraging someone too much when you really need to coach them along a little bit better, right? Maybe you need to dictate a little bit more and not stop trying to empower them because they're, not, they're just not ready for that. And that's okay. A lot of our problems with confrontation is not that we don't know how to do it. It's a lot of this that we, a lot of it, we're using, um, <laughs> we're using a hammer um, to staple papers, Right? You don't need a big hammer to, to, staple, a little, to staple a paper, right? Um, you, we need to use the right tools to help us get the intended results that we need. So beyond having a clear vision and knowing the characteristics of those whom you confront, let's see a third step within the process of confronting someone you love. Number third, the third one is this. You need to make them feel safe and affirm that you're for them and not against them. I can't say this enough. You have to make them feel safe by affirming that you're for them and not against them. Listen to the wisdom of Proverbs 15, 18. It says this, a hot-tempered person stirs up conflict, but one slow to anger calms strife. A hot-tempered person stirs up conflict, but one slow to anger calms strife. You want to be men and women who are slow to anger so that we can help calm the strife. As my mother always taught me growing up, it's much easier to catch flies with honey than with vinegar, right? Being nice, being intentional, being affirming is not being weak. It's just being intentional and and trying to engage with someone that you may have a problem of connecting with in order that you may connect with them and hopefully resolve the issue or at least bring the issue further down on the trajectory. So what are some specific ways that you can reaffirm? You can reaffirm someone um, that you're for them. Let me give you three simple ways. One, invite them into the conversation by asking them about their perspective. Invite them into the conversation, right? An example of this is, this is how I experienced the situation. This is how I experienced what happened the other day. What's your perspective on that? How did you see it? This is how I saw it. How did you see it? Invite their perspective. Listen to what they have to say. You're not God, and I'm not God. We don't see everything clearly and fully. But we can be honest about what we see and share it and then invite them to give us their perspective of what we saw, what we understood to happen. Number two, we need to listen to empathize and listen to understand and not to agree. 
It's really, really important. Listen to empathize and listen to understand and not to agree. Just because you listen doesn't mean you have to, you're agreeing what they say, what they're saying to you. You're listening to understand. You're not listening to agree. Number three, use contrasting language. What I, what I mean by that is this. If someone is saying to you while you're talking to you that they're making you feel bad, simply say to them, I don't want you to feel bad. I want you to feel, and then you fill in the blank, right? Reaffirm what they're saying to you. Don't dismiss it, right? Jack, I, well, Jack, well, not Jack. I shouldn't use that name. I was trying to use a name that no one's here, but Jack is here. Joey, oh, we don't have a Joey in the house. Uh, Joey, <laughs> um, you may, I know that you're saying that you feel this way about this situation. I'm sorry that you feel that way. I want to affirm that but this is how I really want you to feel. This is what I really want you to get. I know this is what you're hearing. I know this is what you are experiencing. I don't want that for you, but this is what I want you to see and to experience. It's a good reminder for us to always be soft on the person, but firm on the issue, right? Be soft on the person, but be firm on the issue. This is really hard for us uh, I shouldn't say that. It's really hard for me. <laughs> this is really hard for me, right? Being soft on the person. We've been taught to be hard on the person because if you're hard on the person, then, they'll, you know, then they'll, they'll, you'll get the results you want, right? I think Paul knew what he was talking about in Ephesians 6 when he says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, right? There, it's not, the issue is not always the person. The issue is greater than the person a lot of the times. There are things that are working. There are Maybe even demonic forces or influences or maybe mental concerns, issues, situations that we don't know about. Church, as we engage in familial and even communal conflict within this church, and we will have it because any relationship should have healthy relationships do have conflict, and that's okay. As a church, we want to, I want to model this for us. I want to model this well as a pastor and a father, as a son. As an uncle, <laughs> I want to learn how what it means to be soft on the person, but firm on the issue. I love this, again, because we're not trying to excuse a person from doing wrong. And if you hear me when I say that, if you hear that's what I'm saying to you, you're not listening to what I'm saying. What I'm saying to you is that we have to be firm on the issue. The problem is the problem, and we're going to address the problem but as we address the problem, I'm not going to use my desire to address the problem to destroy you in the process. Does that make sense? That's what the Bible says, to be angry but do not sin, right? Our anger is not an excuse to destroy people, to slander people, to throw people under the bus, to misuse or abuse people. Our anger is not meant for that. Our anger... It's meant to correct the wrongs in our society, the wrongs in our lives, the things that God sees as wrong, the things that God is desiring to correct, the things that God is asking you to correct in your children, right? Be soft on the person, but be firm on the issue. That's the goal. I know many of you are thinking in your mind, that's much easier said than done. And I would say yes and amen. So, so what does this look like practically? Let me give you an example of a good and bad example of this. 
I'll start with the bad example at the bottom. Here's a conversation. I need you to be with me uh, every weekend. You never want to be with me, and therefore I can't be close to you because you never pay attention to me. That's a bad way of explaining that. But how many of us do that? I can raise my hand. Yes, that's, I do that a lot, right? Here's a good way. I want to be close with you. <laughs> be honest, right? Be, 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 be soft on the person, but be firm on the issue. What's the issue? The issue is that you're not close with this person. The issue is that you're not getting time together. Now, are the, are the other things true, right, that you, the way that you feel? Absolutely, those things are true. But a lot of times in our conversations, we use as those things that, that are to be true in order to demoralize or to degrade someone, to, to shame them into doing the thing that we want them to do. Folk, begin, be soft on the person, but be firm on the issue. The issue is, I want to be close to you. Leave it at that. The issue is, I miss you. You've been coming home late. You're working too much. I miss you. Not I miss you. Where have you been? You answer your phone for your friends. You can't answer your phone for me. I mean, goodness gracious, y'all. We, do you, yeah, y'all laughing because I know what I'm talking about, right? Soft on the person. Firm on the issue. That's why we have to begin at the beginning with the end in mind. We have to be clear about what we're talking about. We got to be clear what the issue is. Because if you're clear on the issue, then you can address the issue and not just try to demoralize the person in the process. Take time to understand what you're talking about and what you desire. Don't go in there like Rambo with AK-47s just shooting up the place, right? Excuse that analogy, because I know we live in a world that that actually happens a lot, so I apologize for that. Um, but we're not just going out willy-nilly trying to just trying to randomly just make things happen. Take time with your God. Take time with your emotions. Ask God, hey, what do I want this to look like? What, what is the main issue here? What am I missing? What do I desire? What is the outcome? How do I want tomorrow to look different? How do I want next week to look different? How do I want next year to look different as a result of us having this conversation? How do I want to move forward in love with this person? Again, be soft on the person, but be firm on the issue. Let me give you a couple of rules just to help us just to remember this. So number one, how do you do this? Um, new rule number one, how, how do you be soft on the person and firm on the issue? Rule number one to remember you won't get a good solution unless someone feels safe, right? They, they have to feel safe in your presence. If they don't feel safe in your presence, then they are not going to want to be able to engage further with you in that conversation. Can we throw that bad example up again, right? Let's, let's go. I, I need you to be with me every weekend. Uh, I can do that. You never want to be with me, and therefore I can't be close to you because you never pay attention to me. For a lot of people, as soon as you hear that first part was great, but as soon as you hear that second part, your, your, whole, your whole emotional state just shuts down, right? Like, I don't even want to hear anything else this person has to say. <laughs> You're going down the tangent again, right? You're going through, 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 through the, that, that conversation again, right? So we want, you won't get a good solution unless someone feels safe. First, restore safety and then seek to, seek to solve the problem. 
If the person that you are dealing with has been abused, maybe physically, it's probably not best to have a meeting in a one room, a one, one way out, one way, uh, one way in, one way out room with no windows. That's probably not the best place to do that because they're going to feel claustrophobic, right? If a person has been verbally abused, it's probably best not to be yelling and screaming in that conversation, right? Watch your tone. So rule number one, restore safety and then restore safety first and then seek to solve the problem. Rule number two, seek to hear what they say and be curious about it, right? In all costs, by God's grace, try to avoid asking this question. Why do you feel that way? Never ask that question because that question in itself brings that person to a place where they then have to respond to the emotions that they're feeling that they probably don't fully understand why they're feeling it in the first place. But here's the question you need to ask. What makes you feel that way? What makes you feel that way? Not why do you feel that way, but what makes you feel that way? Joey, I hear you say to me that you feel abandoned. You feel neglected. You feel like no one here connects well with you. What makes you feel that way, Joey? What type of things have been happening in your life that makes you feel that way? You see how that's a question of invitation? It's a question of curiosity, right? It's not a question of judgment. Well, why do you feel that way, Joey? We live in a big church. You're part of a community group. You're serving. Heck, you're an elder at our church. Why do you feel that way, Joey? No, we don't. No, no, that's not what we want to do. The question we want to ask is, what makes you feel that way, Right? Because there may, there may be some things in Joey's life, there may be things that are happening in him that we don't know about, right? This community may be great for you, but from Joey's perspective, it's not as great. It's not as welcoming. It's not as intentional. So when people ask us this, let's not say, why do you feel this way? Let's ask what? What makes you, what makes you feel this way? Thirdly, don't get mad, stay in the formula. (laughs) And what I mean by that is, I know all this is good, right? This is good knowledge to have. But again, we're not trying to focus just on knowledge here. We're trying to focus on wisdom. How do we apply this, right? Trying to do this, people will become defensive, right? They're going to become argumentative. And what I want to, if, if you are walking in wisdom, and if you are beginning with the end in mind, and if you are focusing on the issue, and if you are focusing on being soft on the person, but yet firm on the issue, if you are doing all of that thing, those things, then you need to stay in control to not let your emotions get you mad or upset or irate, but you need to stay in the formula. Stay in the formula. Continue to pursue them. Again, be soft on the person, be firm on the issue. Deal with the issue, not just the repercussions or the problems from the issue. So what if they minimize the problem? What if they see it as not a big deal? How do we respond? The fourth step here, again, is to make the conversation safe, but also to be specific to know what you desire. And what I mean by that is this. We're called to do three things to know 
to, be, to know how to uh, specifically know what we desire. We, we're called to be direct, we're called to be specific, and we're called to be actionable. Direct, specific, and actionable. So to be direct, know how to address the issue at hand. Excuse me, even better, know what the issue is at hand, right? Again, focus on the issue. Be direct on the issue that you're experiencing. Not the byproduct, not the byproduct of the issue, not the ramifications of the issue, not even the cause of the issue. What is the issue and be direct with the issue? Number two, be specific. Know how to address the issue at hand with specific details. Again, asking those questions. What makes you feel this way if they are combative, right? Or if they don't quite see the issue at hand. Lastly, be actionable. Know how you want to move forward to affect change. Again, by engaging within this conversation with this person, you should be moving along a trajectory. Everything won't be solved in one conversation, but you can move from a place of being contentious to at least being cordial, right? You may still kind of have a little angst or a little frustrations, but you can move from, from being contentious to at least being cordial, right? At least in that conversation. So at least know how to move forward to affect change. Let me give you a quick example of how to be direct, how to be specific, and how to be actionable here. So here's a conversation, again, that you could ha- you poss- theoretically could be having with a person. <clears throat> I'll, use the, uh, I'll use the word Thomas here. So Thomas, I know that you don't see this as a problem, but this is really hurting me, okay? You notice how you're focusing on the problem? You're staying on the issue, you got so upset at the party, Thomas, that Sally said that she doesn't want us to go uh, out with them again. This is a problem, even though you don't think that it is. Again, be specific. Give specific details about what has happened. I want you to stop raising your voice at people when you get angry, because when you do, it affects me in this way. You could explain, it makes me feel unsafe. It makes me feel scared. It makes me feel unloved, whatever that may be. Again, be direct, be specific. Be actionable. Be direct. Again, address the issue. Give specific examples of what you're talking about. Don't just say, I want to be, uh, don't, just be don't just say something like, um, this is hurting me, but don't give examples of what, what, what that means or what that entails. Give specific examples. And then lastly, be actionable. Tell them how you want them to change. Tell them how you want this to, to look different in the future. So we talked about how to confront someone we love. We talked about how to parent when our plans don't go as planned. Lastly here, we'll look at the last question. How do we address problems that are hurting us or people that are hurting us? For that, I want to look at Micah chapter 6, verse 8 for the answer, or at least part of the answer. Micah 6, 8 says this way. It says, mankind, he has told you what, you, uh, what is good and what is the Lord requires of you to act justly, to love faithfulness or mercy, um, and to walk humbly with your God, right? Notice the prescription here. Act justly. What that means, stand for the truth, right? Stand for the truth. If there's a concern, if there's an issue, stand for that truth. Don't be ashamed of standing for truth, y'all. It's okay to stand for truth. Act justly, but also be kind, right? Love faithfulness or love mercy while you are standing for truth. And then lastly, walk humbly before your God. God, remain humble, right? Remain humble as you 
engage in these conversations and as you engage um, in these places where maybe you're not seeing eye to eye. I hope this has been um, somewhat helpful for you. Um, I hope this has been somewhat encouraging to you. Um, This is an issue that affects all of us. Again, if you are a parent or if you're not a parent. But one of the things that I do desire is, as your pastor, is I'm never going to turn a blind eye to the elephant in the room. (laughs) There are elephants in the room where we have contention with one another, maybe in our homes, in our relationships, with our roommates, with our family members. There's contention all around us. And what I desire, what we desire as pastors of this church is for you to grow in wisdom, to grow with the right tools and the right methods to know how to engage in these things in a godly way in order that God may get the glory and that relationships might be restored. That's our desire. And we'll do whatever we can by God's grace and for his glory to be able to help you and equip you in that way as people of God to know how to navigate and know how to engage in this way. Would you pray with me? Father, would you love you and thank you. Thank you that you are a God who is true to the mantra of being soft on the person but firm on the issue, God. You have been merciful to us, um, but you have um, your mercy that was not excluded. It was not avoided. It was clearly seen through the crucifixion of your son upon a cross. So we thank you, God, that although we deserve death, you have given us the act of mercy of punishing your son in our place. And it's to him that we pay homage. It's to him that we give glory. He didn't pay that price simply to be a sacrifice. He, um, he paid that price in order to atone for our, our sins and to restore us into right relationship with you. He's the only one that could do it. And we thank you that you sent him as your beloved son, your chosen one, to be our perfect and full sacrifice. We ask now that you would help us to know what it means to walk in wisdom in the areas where we might find contention, where we might find areas in our life where we don't see eye to eye. Help us to walk in wisdom. Help us identify, Lord, areas maybe we are acting foolish or we're being defiant or rebellious or being defensive. God, help us to confess to you in areas where we desire or acting like the evil person, where we are becoming slanderous, where we are being intentional to do do harm to others who have done harm to us. God, help us. Help us in this way. We, We need your help by your spirit to grow further and further more to Christian maturity. We thank you, God, that you've given us this day and your, this word to be able to provide instruction for us. As always, take the little we have and make much of it and glorify yourself. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm James A.P. Fields, Jr., lead pastor at Sojourn Church Carlisle. Thanks for listening. We're a church that is rooted in the community of South Louisville. And we are seeking to advance the gospel of Christ in South Louisville and beyond. For more sermons, info about our church, and ways you can support our ministry, visit SojournChurch.com backslash Carlisle, C-A-R-L-I-S-L-E. God bless.